Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Ezra Lip Hour, more or less. As always, with your host, Ezra Lip, Bay Area-based drummer, band leader, composer, podcast host, father, husband, friend, etc. Lots of lots of hats going on these days. Anyway, it's been a little while since I've uh, been here with you guys, so I'm uh, I'm very excited to be back. It's been a crazy month. I've had lots of lots of been playing lots of music, had lots of stuff going on, so wasn't able to get as much output with the podcast as I I would have liked. But um, I have lots more coming down the pipeline, and it, the show will, will resume with more regularity imminently starting with this week if it sounds a little funny i'm i'm currently i've set up a uh makeshift studio in the yoga room at the san francisco airport i'm uh currently boarding a plane in a in a little while and but really wanted to get this intro done and uh get this episode out to you ASAP. So anyway, um, if you hear some strange noises, uh, that might be why. Hello. Hi, are you here to do yoga? Okay. Okay. As you can see. (laughs) Anyway. Okay, I got a lot, I got a lot to talk about in this intro. So I'm going to try to get through it. Um, but keep the reviews and ratings coming on iTunes. I've really appreciated appreciated everyone that's done that. It really helps a lot, helps people find the show. So um, if you haven't done so already and you've been enjoying the show, please, please go to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a review. It helps a lot. Also, keep, keep reaching out. Let me know what guests you want to see on the podcast. And also, um, in the way of feedback, just... If there's any blind spots you've noticed, um, for instance, uh, my cousin Stephen, who who works at Apple, um, if you've ever used Apple Maps and have seen the little dot on your iPhone that shows you where your location is, that's that's his job to make sure that that dot is uh, where it, where it needs to be for you. But anyway, he told me that he likes to listen to these shows in the car, and he'll sometimes be driving with his GPS on and he'll be listening to my podcast at a certain volume and then the GPS starts talking to him on his phone and interrupts the show and it's a lot louder than uh, the show. So, you know, I would say that's kind of a blind spot for me. I, I, I Maybe if my episodes are a little quieter, I, I'm still learning how all this works, so maybe I didn't see that. So if there's any, if there's any little things that, you know, you would... You might not realize that might be obvious to everyone else, but maybe I've missed. Please enlighten me. I am here to get better, to add value, to make these more enjoyable. I've um, been drumming for uh, decades, but only podcasting for a few months. Um, So anyway, feel free to to let me know um, anything that stands out to you. Moving along, I got some shows coming up with my band this week I'd love for you to check out. At the Ivy Room in Albany this Thursday, August 31st, Magic in the Other, with uh, James Riato, my old good friend who 
who's a producer and engineer out at Tiny Telephone in San Francisco, one of the best studios in the Bay Area, hands down. Uh, as, and he's put a stellar band together for this night, as well as my good friend DJ Real, Nick Stargue, who is not, in fact, a DJ, but is, in fact, a hilarious um, musical comedian of sorts, really uh, amazing um, mind on that guy. That's going to be a really fun show. And then on uh, Sunday, remember when uh, a few weeks ago when I put out a podcast with Jen Hartswick from the Train Estasio Band, and we were talking about her show at the Sweetwater on September 3rd, and I said I would be there, uh, assuming I, I didn't have a gig. Well, I got a gig, and it's opening for Jen Hartswick at the Sweetwater. Funny how that works. Um, so I will certainly be there. So please, as I encouraged you before, come check that that show. And now there's even more reason to, as my band, Magic and the Other, will be supporting Jen that night. All right, moving right along. My guest today is an interesting guy. He is uh, and has been a full-time record store clerk for many years, an avid bird watcher, a swap meet enthusiast, enthusiast, a uh, vinyl collector, borderline self-proclaimed hoarder. Uh, he also is a podcast host, and he also is a record label owner. He's also a spoken word artist, a very talented writer, and also is in a, about eight bands in the San Diego area as their main lyricist and co-songwriter and um, often percussionist. His name is Alfred Howard, and I first, he, he, he's a colorful character if you, if you haven't gathered so already, and I'm going to try to bring in lots of elements in this episode to kind of highlight his personality. Um, I first became aware of him through his book, which is The Autobiography of No One, which was given to me for a friend, from a friend, and I, I began reading it and, and just thought it was great. It's a, collection of, it's a collection of essays and social media posts and blogs and kind of journal-style writing um, from 2012 and 2013, mostly, that he did. That is, uh, I would say, it's very entertaining. It's also very profound at times. It's, um, there's a sarcastic humor that's highlighted there's um it, it's just it's just he's he's just got he's just got away with words and um in fact i thought if it was all right with you i would read some of his um blog posts because we had a great conversation i'm excited to share with you alfred is involved in a whole slew of musicians on the san diego music scene some of the bands that he currently is involved in writing and uh, producing are um, The Heavy Guilt, Rebecca Jade and the Cold Fact, Bertie Bardot, Danny Bell and the Tarantist, Cardinal Moon and the Midnight Pine. He started out uh, with the K23 Orchestra and was a musician, uh, percussionist, lyricist in that band for several years, toured, did a bunch of National Touring did the whole festival circuit until um, that band disbanded and he eventually also got uh, 
a case of chronic Lyme's disease, which he still struggles with today, that made the touring lifestyle a lot more difficult. But he's as prolific as ever with all these bands, and you should check out what they're doing at theredwoodsmusic.com. It's a, it's a really flourishing scene there. I also wanted to share some of his uh, essays with you because I think, I think they're great. And uh, I'll, I'm going to read two. And the first one's a little more dry, sarcastic humor. The other one's, I'd say, more in the um, profound modern philosophy camp. One thing I will say, there are curse words in these, uh, this blog post that I'm about to read, so please know that. All right, this is about um, a recent excursion to a uh, swap meet, which Alfred goes about four times a week. It's called The Unabashed Rudeness of Polite Strangers. To be an unfamous musician is to participate in the chronic hustle. At least that's what I've gleamed from breathing. I imagine once you're of Katy Perry status, you can close your eyes, think of the specific sushi you want, and a drone swoops in and purchase it atop your cleavage in 30 seconds or less. But I'm not Katy Perry. In fact, I'm not even sure if she's a relevant pop reference as I dwell on the outskirts of the loop. But I imagine my point is received. My income is divided into thirds, the holy trinity of my current currency in the record store, the swap meet in any miscellaneous odd job that comes my way. I've been a hand model, junk hauler, song consultant, wedding priest, limo driver. Basically, if you'll pay me, I'll probably do it. One time, I got $13 to eat 64 ounces of cranberry sauce after Thanksgiving dinner, but I'm not sure if that counts as employment. Anyway, I take my swap meet excursions dead seriously. I'm not quite one of the record guys out there at 5 a.m. with a spelunking lantern, but I am that second wave of 7 a.m. soldier out there looking for stuff to turn around. I'm usually the guy who gets to see the guy before me leave with all the stuff I wanted, but every once in a while, I'm the first cat on a stack and I get a win. Yesterday, I was out at Qualcomm and had some luck. I got 10 quality records on the cheap, the best of which was a pristine copy of Eno's Here Come the Warm Jets for a dollar. I had a good feeling about the day. I was walking at about the pace of Blanche de Vero. I'm sorry, I don't know who that is, so sorry if I botched the pronunciation on an exercise bike when this dude stopped me. He couldn't have possibly been a nicer human being. He said, hey dude, you like records, can I see what you got? It's the first time in a while my East Coast soul almost percolated to the surface. What the fuck you, dude? I'm on the hustle. Last time I slowed down to talk someone, I missed out on a birthday party record to some asshole who didn't even know who the band was, but liked the idea of a record about birthday parties. He was in for a rude awakening. I defied my instincts and showed this kind stranger the fruits of my labor, and he began to tell me stories about each band. I was hoping he'd pick up on the jittery bloom within my shifting personality. I was welling with rush and anxiety, praying he would draw his conversations to close after picking up on the not-so-subtle social cues I was tossing out there. I got my records back and picked up the pace on my Stairmaster. Think Vince Coleman, 1985, after a blast of coke with police on his tail. I make it to a stack of records, and I'm the first on the box. I'm going through and finding gems left and right, trying to temper my excitement. It's a delicate dance. You don't want the seller to know he's selling gold for dirt. As I'm piling up a stack of records that will put a significant dent in rent this month, the polite guy resurfaces. He starts trying to thumb through the stack as I'm looking at it, which is a huge no in the unspoken swap meet etiquette. 
I've seen old ass men punch a dude in the shit for breaking that code. You can look over the shoulder, but no touching. I'm boxing this dude out, but he starts looking at what I got and he says, holy shit, you got the whole Bauhaus collection? You know how hard those are to find? And under my breath, in the quietest yet most commanding voice I own, I said, you need to shut your mouth down now. I didn't even know I had it in me and I don't know what he, that he heard it. I kind of hope he didn't because he was super nice and a fan of our band, but there's a line and it was crossed. Back to the hustle. Panama 66, tomorrow with a midnight pine. All right, so here is another Alfred Howard. Uh, this is a Facebook post. He just kind of whips out these Facebook posts. You should, you should follow him because it's kind of amazing. The, on the regular, he'll, he'll say stuff like this. This is from uh, yesterday, uh, August 26th or 7th. Was September 11th entertaining? I heard the voice on talk radio pose the question before the static enveloped the answer. My antenna struggles to deliver clarity, and I sat still in the moving car with caustic curiosity as to what the consensus was. And that in and of itself was the answer, as I was unintentionally cliffhanging, waiting as if real life had taken a pause for a commercial. Last week's commercial break was the solar eclipse. We collectively removed our eyes from our devices to take a needed breather, collect ourselves, and appeal to our better angels. The sun returned to normalcy, we merged back onto the crowded highway and resumed our panic and routine. This is the greatest television show in history. We're all binge-watching with wide and caffeinated eyes, researching the characters in our spare time, theorizing on how this season will end, who will meet their demise, who will riot, will there be war and famine, who will be eliminated, voted off the island. The surrounding sea is drawn wider by rapid nationalism. I remember the simplicity of watching a white Ford Bronco speeding down the empty freeway, the nation sharing in a real drama, drawn like moths to the flame, toxic gossip, newscasters grasping at a minutia to keep you from changing the channel. I didn't get a sense that something shifted that day, that something was born, but I see it now. Is Trump entertaining? Is my first waking response to the miracle of existing another day to grab my phone and go to the news feed? Do I dream about what happens next? Are my reveries about a future untethered to this madness or a future swinging haplessly against it? I can barely answer these questions anymore. I'm so exhausted. But as I approach my 40th year here, I long for a lost art of simple entertainment. I've started playing cards again, cribbage, bird watching, chess, the patient arts. Because if I go back to the first question, was September 11th entertaining? When two towers I saw every day of the first 13 years of my life collapsed upon themselves, when paranoia replaced reason, when fear became a governing tactic, when we entered into a willing state of perpetual war, where perhaps the terrorists did win, because take a deep, dark look at where America is at right now. I was entertained, watching it all collapse, crying and crushed. Focused, must-see TV, broken. Perhaps it's time to reclaim the benevolence of entertainment and deny the bait of disaster. All right, folks. Well, that's a little taste of Alfred. There's going to be a few more surprises I will share at the end of this episode. But anyway, I've, I've, I've gone on long enough. Without further ado, please welcome the amazing, multi-talented Alfred Howard. How's, uh, how's your day going? 
Oh, so far, so good. Uh, went to the swap meet this morning. Got a bunch of random bullshit that I didn't necessarily need. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, re- I, you know, I, read, I read some stuff about um, you and, and swap meets. Um, it seems to be like a weekly, a weekly occurrence. Four times a week. Wow, four times a week. Okay, so first of all, what what exactly is that like a what what exactly is a a swap a, a swap meet? Is that that's like a a trade a barter or a yard sale kind of big fair uh, flea market yeah. kind of thing? Yeah, basically a big flea market slash yard sale. Um, I work at a record store uh, over mm-hmm. in Ocean Beach, mm-hmm. so I get a lot of vinyl and CDs for our record store. Yeah. And then I also buy a lot of like secondhand instruments and weird ingredients to make percussive instruments and uh, old vintage radios and bird watching stuff, just all kinds of random stuff. I, apparently, I'm a hoarder. I didn't know that <laughs> until I, I tried to move some of my stuff. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. What kind of um, objects will you use for percussion? Oh, pretty much anything. Like, I, I've gotten a lot of like chains and made uh, stomp boxes that kind of sort of accent what the snare is doing mm-hmm. um got a lot of bottle caps that i've like kind of tied on to a mop head you know and uh kind of fills the role of like a shaker i put it on a little like hi-hat stand um all, all kinds of just random stuff and then also i get i'll get like saw blades that you know can be used as uh symbols but uh yeah i've just accumulated a lot of stuff like that over the years that sounds sweet. Um, I, I'd like to. Uh, um, I might have to check out your setup and and steal some some ideas at some point. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But but um but as I understand, like you didn't come to music as like you 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 play percussion in in lots of projects that you are involved in um, as far as the producing and writing and songwriting and lyric writing but um but you didn't come to music like as a percussionist and 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 i'm is is it correct to say that you wouldn't maybe even con- consider yourself a percussionist now or, or at least in the <laughs> no, i consider sense? myself a, like a guy who hangs out with a band i started out as a spoken word artist and uh i was doing spoken word in a band for uh seven years called the k23 orchestra yep and um you know, that band was very improvisatory. We we had like kind of longer songs with like a lot of ambient passages. So the drummer suggested, you know, yeah, here's a tambourine, here's a shaker, here's a clave. You know, I learned some rhythmic patterns and then started to make some stuff up myself. And, uh, you know, by the end of that band, I had like quite a little percussive ensemble. Um, I also was struggling with chronic Lyme disease and uh, I had a hiatal hernia and all the stomach acid scarred the lining of my esophagus. So by the last, you know, two years of that band, I I basically didn't have a voice, but I was a vocalist and every show was just taking its toll on me physically. So uh, I stopped and I took a year off and um, I was always writing, you know, I never stopped writing. But I kind of shifted towards like trying to write for other voices because I didn't have access to mine anymore. So uh, my first band back was a band called The Heavy Guilt. And I was just going to play for like the first Heavy Guilt show. I was going to play percussion to see if I could bait some of the old K23 Orchestra fans to coming out and checking us out. And then uh, one thing led to another and I became a percussionist, you know. 
So you weren't, um, but you weren't doing that previously in K K twenty three. I played percussion, but you know, not not to the extent, and you know, just just when I wasn't vocalizing. Right. You know, if the band was doing sort of like a improv session section, then like I would try to add to that and, and play along. Can you describe what that transition was like when you went from writing for your own voice to other voices? You know, it's really ironic because like I was I when I lost my voice, it was awful. You know, I, I really enjoyed doing what we were doing, you know, and our band had some good momentum behind them. And then all of a sudden it was just an, an impossibility. So I was heartbroken. Um, but now with the, the benefit of hindsight, like it's the best thing that ever happened because, you know, I was never like a, a confident singer. You know, I, I wasn't a very melodic vocalist. I could do really rapid fire, like I'm a lady fascinated at the world that's animated by the mind which has created, setting sun is illustrated, you know, just that was that was kind of my approach. And it was almost like the faster I could go, like the less likely people were going to notice that I had like no melody to lend to like my vocal phrasing. Mm. Um, and what we were doing as a band, like I, I love it and I was totally behind the music and the message, but it wasn't really like what I was listening to. You know, at, at that time, I was really into like Wilco and M. Ward and Nico Case and stuff like that. And, you know, we were doing this like funk, like hip hop stuff, which, you know, I, I have a big place in my heart for that, too. But the other stuff was a lot more in line with what I was listening to. So making that transition um, was the most natural thing that ever happened. You know, it, it was just like, OK, like, you know, th now I can do more of like what what influences me, what I'm, I'm inspired by. And, you know, kind of take this backseat role and, and produce and arrange and stuff like that. And, you know, obviously there's a learning curve to that, but uh, I've been doing it for a long time now. And I, I feel so much more comfortable with that than I ever did as a spoken word artist. Do you, do you feel like you have enough of a role in performances if you're not the main vocalist? I have no desire to like front a band. I don't, I don't miss that at all. I just, you know, it's my sound cliche, but like, I just want to make good music. I want to make music that like, I don't mind listening to, you know? And uh, for me to do that requires me taking like kind of a back seat. And that's, that's awesome for me. Yeah. And I'm kind of a quiet reserve guy, you know? So I, I like to just be able to like get off stage and head home and call it a night. I know. So I know you work with all these different bands now under the Redwoods music label that you're also a co-owner of um is it just is it just lyrics that you're writing or also like elements of chordal and harmonic elements of the songs you know i'll come up with like kind of rough melodies for some songs but for the most part it's it's like lyrics and uh like a like a cadence usually um every every act that we have is is kind of like a different writing process which is something that i really love you know um, and when I like for the Birdie Bardot band, like a lot of the songs, me and Birdie would sit down and like kind of come up with the melody together or, you know, I'd have like a, a rhythmic idea for the lyrics and then she'd have a melody idea. And then other stuff would start with uh, me and Matt or me and Dylan. They're both guitar players. And we just kind of I'd have a lyric idea and we just kind of hash it all out together and then bring it to the band. All the stuff that I've written with Josh, it's funny, like I'll just email him a lyric and or like a, a bunch of lyrics 
and he'll just kind of comb through a really large document until he finds something that sort of fits with a, a, a sound that he was working on. And he'll send me back a completed song and then we'll refine it and bring it to the band. Um, so it's cool. We get to we get to approach it from a number of different angles. So I, I feel pretty creatively satiated with that that process. And uh, along with that topic, so do you will you write something? Say you'll write a bunch of pieces and be like, oh, this one's good for uh, Bertie Bardot and uh, this one's good for the heavy guilt and this one's good for Rebecca Jade and kind of like, are you, are you writing with these specific artists in mind then these different things, or do you just write a bunch of stuff and then kind of see who it speaks to? Absolutely. Well, see, uh, my mom just moved out here. Um, and we were having a conversation about this the other day. Cause, uh, what we do is we put on like these quarterly reviews, which will be like, uh, that sounded really corporate, <laughs> but it's actually like, you know, Every season we'll get together and we'll have like the backing band up there the whole night and we'll just exchange singers, you know, and we'll do like mm. four or five sets of music. And um, the thing that my mom noticed was that like as soon as a new singer would come up, it would be the same, you know, six guys on stage doing the doing the band part. But like the personality of the singer just changes the trajectory of like what the band is doing, like like on a dime. And it's awesome, you know, because we can go from like a soul group to like a, a rock and roll group to like a kind of folky Americana group, like quite seamlessly. And uh, it, it seems natural. And, and that's like the logical progression of it. But all of our singers have so much personality that like as a writer, I, I love it because I'm trying to I'm trying to write appropriate to that personality, you know, so now that I know Birdie really well, or now that I know Rebecca really well, I like to try to like get in their mindset. Like what would, what would they think of this situation? Like what would their perspective be? What are the right words that sound natural, like flowing from them? And, uh, you know, so I, I, and it's like over years of doing this, it's become a lot more streamlined where I'm like, all right, tonight I'm going to sit down and try to write something for Rebecca or, Tonight I'm going to sit down and try to write and then I'll start and I'll be like, all right, this is a piece for Rebecca. And that'll kind of, you know, like focus the direction of that writing session. And what would you say your lyrics are mostly about currently? Well, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't reflecting a lot about uh, the Trump administration or Trump regime or Trump era or whatever you want to call it. It's like a, I was listening to NPR today and, and this guy was talking about it and he's like, you know, it's really weird when when you walk by someone and they say, hey, like, how are you? You know, like, a, you know, six months ago, that, that just felt like, a, you know, not a hollow statement, but something you just be like, yeah, I'm fine, you know, and just keep walking. But like today, I, I actually have to like think about the answer to that, you know, because, uh, you know, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but we're talking about this like, you know, uh, shortly after uh, the Charlottesville uh, terrorist attack. And, uh, you know, it's it's just a crazy week. Actually, it's, it's just been a, a crazy period of time because, you know, last week we were talking about nuclear war with North Korea and, like, I barely remember that that was a thing that happened. And that's just how everything has been since... Uh, I can't even say since inauguration, since, since the whole campaign... 
So it's, you know, if I, I try to write other things and I have written things that are like not political, but I, as a writer, I, I feel like I'm lying if uh, I'm not mentioning that because it's very, very strongly on my mind right now. In fact, I, I even started doing spoken word. I, I did a piece, uh, you know, I haven't been writing spoken word in years. Um, I, I definitely haven't been using my voice to convey it in years. But uh, I watched that Vice documentary about Charlottesville after it happened. And like my father lives in Charlottesville. I have a, I have a little sister who was at the, the protest. Jeez. And uh, I, I watched that documentary and I wept. And then like I wrote this poem called Not My President. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just hard to not talk about that, you know. I feel like a broken record some days, but it's just, it's just happening. I think it's really important to talk about it. And I think that it's uh, absolutely healthy and, and essential to, to be engaged in, in constant dialogue um, because it's, it's unprecedented and it's, and it's really scary. And, uh, and it's really, it's not normal. And um, I don't think it's the time to just, kind of like yeah normalize anything or pretend it's not happening so so with that question how how are you how are you uh how are you doing with all this stuff um i i, I ask um not just as a you know concern for your well-being but also because i know that you have a lot to um to say on on the issue and i did i did see uh the video of that of your spoken word piece not my president and um you know, clearly you're someone who can articulate, um, these, these concepts well. So, um, yeah, if you want a chance to elaborate on, on maybe ways that you've been dealing with it or, or speaking about it or interesting conversations you've had with people, feel free. I could read that poem if you'd like. I would love that. Yeah. If I would, that would be amazing. Uh, there's no precedent for this precedent, but this is not my president. This is not my president. The heartless cannot represent their darkness, cannot represent the shade of skin I'm in. I'm sickened by his sentences, sentenced to this term of his. I feel confined, constrained, condemned, awake to what's at hand. This is the last gasp of the corpse with the grasp still trying the force. This is the last collision course, and this is my remorse. Cried a tear for every loss, for every year that this will cost, for every fear they've turned to law, for every line they cross. And it's all happening at once, I feel the panic in my vein, I try to lift the weight because it's crushing each and every day. I try to read and stay informed, but overwhelming is the norm, and every prophet speaks of storms, and we have watched the tempest born, torn out from the TV's womb, with eyes that never knew the moon, weren't humbled by a flower's bloom, just insatiably consumed. As I was starving on my feed, thinking it was reverie, thinking this would be the scream to pull me from this dream. Because hatred takes such energy, and love comes easier to me. Yes, hatred takes such energy, it seems love comes easier to me. 
So if I take this rabbit hole, gain knowledge at the price of soul, no solace in this world unknown, this is no time to be alone, I'll braid my voice with anyone, concerned about the setting sun, concerned that sunrise will not come, who've closed their eyes and seen the gun, who open eyes and see the news glued to white lies and black truths used and tossed into the night, and you should know this is a fight, and you should know that you are light against the midnight Bible black, so you better burn so bright so we can see a different path. Cause I refuse to believe that hatred is tomorrow's face And I refuse to believe that we will ever lose this race And I will never pledge allegiance to a human piece of waste And I will never lose my grip on the land you're trying to take So to the liar and the thief, ushered in by apathy Ushered in by spin and greed, you are the evil that we need Cause you're the dark and we're the light And there's no day without the night And there's no chance your side is right An antique thought just born to die Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, no problem, man. Uh, it's a it's a weird thing. Like, it's a weird thing because I I never thought that I would need to do spoken word again. First of all, like I was doing a lot of spoken word, like kind of during the Bush administration and the the first Gulf War, and uh, you know I look I I never thought I would look back and be like, man, I. I miss I miss the simplicity of the Bush years, you know. <laughs> like that's that's a weird thing it's, to think. It's totally crazy, and I know that I can relate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, George Bush is over there like doing oil paintings of the Dalai Lama right now, and I'm like, man, that that cat doesn't look so bad. Yeah, talking you know? talking about the benefits of uh, of a free media, you know. Who'd have thunk it, man? Time yeah. does crazy things. Yeah. So, but, so uh, where do you think where do you think this is going? Do you are you hopeful at all? Well, dude, my my theory is that you know, like we we as artists, we as just people in general, breathing and inhabiting inhabiting this planet together, we need to be the opposite of this. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. And I I thought that we had reached the low point during the Bush administration. Yeah. You know, but I feel like sometimes. I used to be an alcoholic, all right? And I used to drink every day of my life. And for me to get clean and sober, I needed to hit a low point. And I went to sleep in Boston, I woke up in New Orleans, and that was the low point. And I Jeez. drinking cold turkey. You know, that was like, I was like 19 years ago for me, you know? I feel like maybe this is the nation like hitting that low point. And it's like forcing us to look at ourselves, you know, and like, Every person who over the past decade has said, dude, like racism in America isn't a problem. Like, no, it is like you can see that very clearly right now. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's always been a problem, but it's it's more pronounced since our president gave people in the shadows uh, a platform, you know. So this yeah. is an important time to to be introspective and like try to think of what positive can come out of this. And if anything, it you know. It's got me speaking out. It's got people I know speaking out. It's got most of my friends like delving into the news and, and trying to read up and be aware and cognizant of what's going on to a greater extent than they've ever been before, you know? So I, I think it's important to allow those things to happen and, and be reactionary, you know, get out there, you know, talk to people and talk to people on the other side. Try to have a civil conversation, you know, like. I haven't had that much luck, but like I, I one time I got some comment on a post I made that was like, 
pretty racist. And I just emailed that person directly. And I've done this a number of times, but this person actually wrote back. And I was like, hey, you want to get a cup of coffee? Like, take the dog for a walk, have a conversation. We met up and we had a conversation and we didn't fix the world, but like we had a conversation. And like that's an important thing to do. And 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 I would I would add I'm I'm assuming that you were able to see each other's humanity a little a little more concretely. Well, that's the thing, man. Is we're all like, you know, like you you can find a common bond with anyone. Like for me, I work at a record store. Like I I'm a ravenous music collector. You know, like I can talk to just about anyone because we got something that we both listen to you know, mm-hmm. and then maybe that can segue into something else. But it's just a matter of like realizing that we share these commonalities, that we're we're all humans. You know, I'm not that different than anyone, you know, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's just a step, you know, none of that's going to fix everything overnight, but it's a gateway to conversation, you know, find find those couple of elements that you share and then build build on that. I, I I couldn't agree more. I invite anyone with a divergent opinion to have a conversation, you know, and that's that's the only way we're gonna get through any of this. There's a great story about this uh, African American musician who's uh, he's a blues uh, boogie woogie uh, keyboardist, and he collects KKK uh, hoods, and the only ones he collects are people that he has like talked out of the KKK. Yeah, I think it's a great right about this. Keep going. Go on. You can look it up. I I know it was on a they did a story on him on NPR on Snap Judgment or something. I forget. It was one of one of those stories. But uh, it was awesome because he, you know, the the first the first time it happened, this guy saw him perform and the guy like loved the music that he was playing, but just couldn't believe that like it was a black man playing it. And he bought him a drink and he told him that he was like a Klansman and uh as opposed to walking away from the table uh the black musician just like talked to him got his information called him up next time he was coming through town to play a gig and uh you know continued to like reach out to him and like they wound up becoming friends you know he got the guy to denounce the kkk and like i think he had him introduce him to the grand wizard of his chapter and like i mean the guy you know he risked his life like Time and time again yeah. to do this. But it's like, you know, I'm not suggesting if you're a brother out there listening, you go talk to the KKK, but you know, we gotta start somewhere. Yeah. Reaching across the aisle and vice versa. Because otherwise, like, I mean, you know, we've had a civil war in this country and tempers are flaring right now on both sides. And it's and it's like, you know, that vice documentary showed me something, you know, like it's it's not like a small movement, you know, the, the white nationalists, the neo-Nazis, whatever you want to call it. You know, there are a bunch of people out there at that march yeah. shouting hateful things, organized, you know. And like they interviewed a lot of folks and they were like thoughtful people, you know, like or, or like educated enough. Like that was the thing that really struck me about it was that like as they panned across the crowd, a lot of those people were like young folks looked like musicians i know you know people i'm friends with one guy looked like arcade fire i was just Mm. like what that's okay that's not what i expect when i imagine like a a white supremacist and then they show older ones and i was like that looks like my buddy who's like a huge allman brothers fan like 
these look like people who, you know, had they been exposed to like the right people growing up or had like some incident not set them on some new trajectory, you know, if the education system in the United States was a little bit better, perhaps they'd have gone on a different path, you know, but they're there and that's where they are. And like dumbfounded me because I consider myself someone who tries to be very, very aware of what's going on. And I saw an America that like I did not know existed. And I'm coming from a perspective of like, I'm already a little bit paranoid about what's going on since this, since this election. Like I, like I lived in a world where I did not think it was remotely possible for Donald Trump to become president. I, I didn't think that was an option. I thought it was a joke. Yeah. You know, we all so that was a big yeah. wake up call when he did. I was like, oh, well, okay. The America, the, you know, I realized that I live in a bubble of musicians. I realized that Facebook dictates what I see in my feed because it wants me to see things that I like. So I will spend money on products that it's trying to show me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's not going to show me Trump supporter stuff. It's going to show me that Wilco is releasing a new record, you know? Yeah. So I, my perception of reality is based on this, this minute bubble that I thought was, was it. And now that I'm seeing outside of that frame, I'm like, oh, okay. Like I have to reassess a lot of things, a lot of, a lot of perspective and just line of thinking, you know? And like that, you know, we're supposed to be talking about music and here, and this is, this is, this is it. You know what I mean? Every day I start a conversation that's not supposed to be about this. And then it just gets to this because it, it is literally impossible to ignore, you know? Yeah. It, yeah. It, and, but I don't, I don't necessarily think you know, think there needs to be elite hard distinctions. I mean, I, and, and this podcast in, in particular, like, I mean, I'm all about talking about not just music, but, you know, talking about life with, with my guests and, and what the kind of things that, that shape who they are and, and what, what they do in the world. And, and, um, yeah. So anyway, that's a little aside, but I'm, I'm guess I'm just saying like, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm, excited to talk about this stuff because i'm trying to make sense of it every day too and it's nice to hear yeah we all are man yeah we all are yeah um with that said um, how about that music <laughs> yeah maybe, maybe we'll circle back but um so could you speak a little about so how did the whole uh i know you're you're raising money now for your your record label redwoods music um you're trying to release five records is that right yeah, we have uh, we have five written that we've started recording, and uh, you know some are further along than others, but the, we're actually like victims of being overly productive. Yeah, that, like we've gotten a little bit ahead of ourselves. Like with with all these records, you know, we have the budget to put one record out at a time, and and that's what you know that's what's going to happen. It's going to be one released in in a sequence, you know. But uh, just to mix them and master them and put them out on vinyl and CD and, you know, just get get them to the proper channels, it all costs money. And, you know, this this operation has been like predominantly us just working, you know, working every every gig we can and every angle we can to get it out there. And uh, we're living in an age where like, you know. I think a musician, it's very easy for a musician to kind of devalue their music because it's almost expected to be free. You know, it's it's all streaming now. And uh, 
we're trying to put out like really high quality artistic projects you know all our packaging you know we try to make it really nuanced and you know individual sleeves um and i don't know just 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 awesome records you know because that was my favorite thing about vinyl is you get this you get this large piece of art and you get the artist on the back and you can read oh this guy played on this and you can see the cross-pollination of bands and then you pull it out and it's got a sleeve with some lyrics on it you know it's a it's like a total experience that we're trying to provide you know but we don't have like a major label budget to do all that but like that's you know we don't want to sacrifice the art at all so we decided to do this GoFundMe campaign and uh, you know we're not like asking for handouts by any means we just want people to you know we're trying to utilize what we have which is a lot of product and uh, get people to kind of invest in it so we have like an $80 tier where you get a download of like everything we've ever put out and all the stuff that we're going to put out you know and that's that's a tier where I just want people to be like, all right, I like what these guys are doing. I recognize that there's like a potency to it and I trust them to release like really creative stuff in the future. So if you want to, you know, and it's not $80 for all the music that we're planning on putting out is not a lot. That's, you know? that's like a lifetime thing where like any, yeah. wow, that's, that's a great, it's a great deal. Lifetime download, you know? Wow. So, uh, you know, we just want people to believe like, if a small group of people believes in us now, you know, it'll allow us to create something for a larger group of people to believe in us then. So that's been the goal of this campaign. And I'll, I'll definitely uh, include a link for, for the GoFundMe campaign in the show notes and, and remind people in the, uh, in the outro to, uh, to go check that out. I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious. So how did, how did this come about that you became a record label owner and, and, and what does it mean to you? Why did, why did you decide to do that? It's, it seems like a precarious time to, you know, start a, a record label, even an independent one or especially an independent one. I, well, I don't, I don't know really, but you know, in the digital age, like it's, it's, you know, it's not a typical move. Oh yeah. It's a precarious time to do anything. Right? Yeah. Right. But, um, you know, the fun, so at the time that we started, I was in a band called the midnight pine, and uh, Rebecca Jade and the Cold Fact, and the Heavy Guilt was going on, and uh, Matt Malaris uh, was in a band called Transfer, and uh, Josh Rice was in all the bands with me, and uh, we had a meeting, and we were like, all right, well, like, we want to cross-pollinate all these bands, because they already had a lot of overlap in members, and um, we are like, it would be great if we could get everyone to just kind of rally behind each other. You know, because Shelby from the Midnight Pines sung some backing vocals on Rebecca Jade's album. And she sung some backing vocals on the Heavy Guilt record, you know. So we're like, all right, well, if we're posting from all these different Facebook accounts, like maybe we can, you know, generate a little bit of, uh, you know, attention for like Heavy Guilt fans to listen to the Midnight Pine and, and vice versa, you know. So that was kind of the, the beginning premise of it. And then we all happened to watch the Muscle Shoals documentary the night before we had that meeting. Uh, and we were like, you know, we have a, a group of like really stunning musicians who do a lot of session work already. And we we're like, well, let's, you know, let's have these guys be like the, the, the backbone of this whole process. You know, we have a guy named Jake Nadra on drums, Jason Littlefield on bass, uh, Dylan Casey and Ian Owen on guitar. 
and uh, Daniel Schreyer and Josh Rice on keys. And um, we had them as kind of like the, the initial group. And, you know, we have some other musicians that we work with as well. And then we have some, like, a lot of the guys play jazz, so we have access to, like, horn players. And uh, we're like, all right, let's, let's make a collective. Let's, like, what do we have to do? So we've been, we've had this kind of all for one, one for all attitude. And uh, we try to promote each other as best we can. And it helps that we're all like, we're all friends, you know? That's why this works. Um, so we, we figured if we put everything under the same under, umbrella, it would be uh, easier to push it forward. The rising tide lifts all ships kind of mentality. Yeah. Uh, it's, well, that's, it sounds like there's clearly a, a really, um, vibrant music scene that you're a part of in San Diego, um, with, with all these musicians. Is that something that you've, you've found there since the beginning, or is this a more recent upcropping of, uh, you know, as, as long as I've lived here, there's always been just great musicians, you know, and great bands doing really awesome and inspiring stuff. But I think we, we decided that we wanted to create a scene to some extent, you know, and uh, we've been able to do a lot of it. And it's, it's been a great process, you know, how do you, how do you do that? How do you create a scene? You know, we've, we've tried to put on really unique events. Uh, sometimes when we'll do release parties, we'll have artists come out and we'll, you know, as I said, I go to the swap meet all the time. So I have like thousands of records. So I'll, I'll bring out, we've had other record dealers come out and bring their records and we just try to cultivate an atmosphere that's like more than, you know, your standard, like I'm going to a bar to see a band. And we, we do those shows too. Sure. But, uh, you know, everything we've done, we've tried to just be really keen on the, on the presentation of it. Um, so can you elaborate a little more on maybe like some, some ways that you've made your event special beyond just like come see a band at a bar kind of thing? We had a masquerade ball for the Danny Bell and the Tarantist release party. Nice. That was pretty amazing. Uh, for our New Year's show last year, we we did actually we did another we did a masquerade ball for that, and we took over an entire uh, hotel that takes up one city block of San Diego. We had like twelve different bands. I think five of our label bands, and then a bunch of other San Diego bands. Um, you know, every room had a theme and. Uh, it was just a great night. And I feel like any any time you can create an experience that that is going to leave people talking, then, you know, I think you're I think you're onto something. That that's that's I appreciate that perspective. Well, thanks so much for taking the time today to to talk with me. Um it it was it was a pleasure and um I I hope we can uh I'm I'm and I'm sure we will uh but connect in person one of these days now that we kind of know who each other are via the digital world a little more yeah absolutely man i would i would love to man and uh this has been a pleasure for me thank you for having me and i know we we have a lot of uh overlapping san francisco bay area musician friends so please give my regards to the bay um i miss all those cats a lot totally all right good rapping with you brother cheers all right folks i hope you enjoyed that as much as i did I have a few other surprises, as I mentioned. Uh, one is a song by one of the artists he works with, uh, Bertie Bardot. It's called Take It All Away. He said that 
thought that would be a appropriate one to share. So I will play that at the end of the episode. So I, I mentioned this briefly in the introduction, but Alfred, Alfred was a podcast host, is a podcast host. It's been a little while since they've put out an episode, but he uh, has a podcast called the Redwoods Music Podcast. Uh, it's, it's under, you know, for his, his record label, his, himself as well as co-host Matt Malarius have done a really good job with this. It's really entertaining. So with Al's permission, I thought I would rebroadcast some of uh, one of the episodes. This is from episode nine of the Redwoods podcast. Al's assured me that they will get back to doing more of these uh, soon. This is a uh, story that I will say will not be appropriate for all audiences because there are curse words and it is about uh, drug use. So just want to let you know that if you're listening with children or anyone else that might not want to hear this, you've been warned. But it's pretty entertaining. Um, Some stories from Al's uh, time selling grilled cheese on Fish Tour and doing lots of... uh, psychedelic drugs um the, he is a very different person than he was when he um talks about these incidents which took place in his early 20s but i enjoyed listening to these stories and i think you will too so i'm gonna play that and i will see you i'll see you next week i'm gonna i'll, I'll be back next week so look out for that thank you so much this is been the Ezra Lip Hour, more or less, and now I will turn it over to Al Howard. All right. Uh, what what kind of music does meth create? Speed metal? Yeah, okay. See, I'm not into that. Me either. Yeah. You know, like LSD. LSD did it. Pink Floyd, stuff like that. That's terrific. Yeah. All of the fucking psychedelic rock that happened. I yeah. thank LSD. I owe LSD a great deal of, you know, the music that guided me through adolescence and beyond, you know? Yeah. But, uh, all right. I feel like it's, it's weird. I have this rationale as a person. Anytime that I, I like glorified drugs for a minute, you know, I feel like I have to like talk some shit about them just to keep the balance. I think we got that with we the whole enough series. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Smoke weed, try acid. Mushrooms are great. Don't do meth. If you're right, if you're in the right environment, because acid and mushrooms could be bad. Yeah. You know, oh, both of them can be horrible. Yeah, I, I, weed could be bad. Honestly, I've I have friends that can't do it because it sends them into a panic attack. Dude, I had a horrible experience with weed at a fish concert. Is that? Yeah, that's right. Really, I'm out the closet on that shit. Yeah, now yeah. they know. Yeah, if if I haven't discussed it before, I used to sell grilled cheeses on fish tour in the parking lot. I moved out here. Would you go in or just hang in the parking lot and sell? No, I'd, sell I'd go cheese. in for a little bit. I, the funny thing is, I, I hated fish. Like for, you did for for a very 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 long time. I had a really good friend who was really into them, and she's always like, "Oh, you got to go. You got to see the show. You got to see the show." So I was like, "All right, I'll fucking see the show." First time I went and saw fish, I uh, I got like really 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 stoned, as you're supposed to do in a fish concert, and I walked in, and there was a. I told a fried dough story. What? Fried dough story. Does that sound familiar to you? No. What is that? All right. You ever eat fried dough? It's called a donut, right? <laughs> I guess. Well, there's a donut. There's funnel cake. Maybe oh, you know funnel what it's funnel cake, cake. Right. Yeah. 
I, fried dough is another that's something we have in the northeast you know all right so i go into the concert and there's a fucking fried dough vendor okay. which is like you just don't see that shit like around on the daily you know yeah but when i was a little kid i was obsessed with fried dough but yeah. my mom would only let me have like one piece of fried dough yeah. you know so here i am at this fish concert i'm 20 years old no mom around you know i'm like yeah. i'll take four orders of fried dough and they the lady was like for you and i was like yeah it's all for me fuck you like i got money <laughs> you know here's 20 bucks dude give me like a whole bunch of deep fried dough with like a, a, a plethora of confectionery sugar on top yeah. of it i'm fucking stone i drank 240s i'm ready to party you know <laughs> so i ate all this fried dough i ate all all four of them and uh wow. i had to leave the concert because <laughs> <laughs> you shit your pants <laughs> i just had these like Did you vomit i was like tripping on sugar and and fry <laughs> oils you know what i mean like my stomach was making this sound you know this the pink floyd song one of these days like my stomach did the whole song <laughs> and i heard it and i left the concert because I was just like in too much pain. And I just went and I was like sitting in the corridor and there were just like, there were like 30 That's hippies dancing around me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, is that me? So that was my first fish concert. So she made me go to a second one because she's like, That's not fair. You just ate like. That's not how you do it. Yeah. You, when you get there, don't eat like all the fried dough in the world, you know? So I went to a fish concert and there's, there's a thing that's happening in there. That's fucking cool. I enjoyed it. I was young. I did a lot of drugs. Like I, the music didn't really age well for me. I'm not into it now, you know, fucking whatever. But I had, I had fun times on fish tour, but uh, there was this one particular show where I went to, and you know, at at this point in my life, early twenties, I was still, you know, smoking a ton of weed. And this little pixie of a hippie child is selling um, weed food, these big Rice Krispie treats in the parking lot, you know? Yeah. And she's like, you want a Rice Krispie treat? And I was like, fuck yeah, I do. A little hippie pixie fairy girl. Here's five bucks. Here's Lincoln. Fucking hook it up. She's like, whatever you do, don't eat this whole thing. And I was just like, well, here's a big middle finger to you. Yeah, I just ate four because, fried doughs. Yeah, I'm a grown-ass fucking drug addict, like... I can handle your little Rice Krispie fairy treat. Like, don't caution me on what kind of drugs to do, you know? So I go into this fish show, and I fucking eat this Rice Krispie treat. The whole thing. I ate nine-tenths of it, only because I got full. Honestly, it wasn't like because I was scared of getting high. I was just like, I can't eat any more Rice Krispie treat. Like, this is just too much, you know? I'm sitting there, and I I went with this. I, I played a gig with Jane's Addiction once. I went with this good gig. It was a good gig at the fucking will turn. I went with these two dudes I met at the gig and they were on percussion at the gig. And, uh, so I didn't really know them too well, you know? So it was a little bit weird when, uh, I start getting uncomfortably high with these guys. I don't know, you know, at this fish concert. And I was just like, I just left, you know, I, that's what I do, man. I'm a French exit King. You know what I mean? I'm like, I don't need to say goodbye to these guys. Like I'm just, even though they got me a ticket, I'm just going to walk up and just get the fuck out of here and just go home. Yeah. And maybe we'll talk about it a year from now. Yeah. You know, that was my philosophy. It's a good move. Yeah. It's kind of a dick move, but whatever. 
so uh, I'm trying to leave this fish concert. It's in Los Angeles. And um, actually, first I tried to find a medical tent, which is like... <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I might glossed over that. Which it's a weird concept to have, where you're like, I was like, well, you know what? I can get to my car, maybe ride this out, or I can maybe get to the medical tent and they can do something for me. So, what can they do for you though? I don't even know. Too, I'm I was, too stoned. I was freaking out, dude. What do they do? I was like, well, I can hear my heartbeat inside of my brain. Yeah, and I'm like, that's not good. Because that's not where that my heart actually is, I don't think. Or is it? And I start yeah. going down the rabbit hole of thought as to how my heart works. And, you know, is I, there medical treatment for being too high on weed? I think someone slaps you across the face and calls you a pussy. <laughs> Probably. And, and just tells you to go get some water and just stop being a pussy. And that would like, be oh. my professional <laughs> yeah. consultation. No, and that's, that's what I would say literally 10 times out of 10 if... <laughs> Someone had come to me like that, but I was there. I Go was with like, it, Sarge. That's I was just I like, well, I can see through time. My heart is in my brain. Everything is terrifying. <laughs> um, is my heart beating? If I think about it, is it beating? Can I think it to stop beating? You know, yeah. I'm just fucking. I'm in. A, I'm in trouble. Yeah. You know. And then this is a weird thing because Fish had gone on this hiatus and they were playing again. And I literally see every person I've ever met in my life, and they want to talk because they haven't seen me since like fish shows from two years ago you know yeah. and then weird random motherfuckers like yo i went to camp with you i'm just like dude not now <laughs> all right <laughs> like i i don't want to reminisce and i don't want to talk about how crazy it is that i haven't seen you since new hampshire in the late 80s like yeah that's weird but not fucking now because <laughs> i need to get to the medical tent you know and person i ran i ran into literally like 35 people in a row and just blew them all off. Yeah. People I care about, it was probably good to see. But I'm just like, dude, fuck you for trying to stop my fucking <laughs> path right now to not dying. You know? Yeah. So just to, to put into context how high this fucking Rice Krispie treat got me, I was the last car to leave a fish concert. Yeah, it must have been days later. <laughs> yeah, dude. Right? It was fucking... But he it was late, and... dude. It was like the sun came up and I was <laughs> oh, just no. like, all right. And I'm I'm in a fucking massive parking lot. I'm just me and my burgundy Toyota Corolla and solitude and sadness just looking around. Oh, no. It's like, wow, well, I think I'm going to drive home because I feel a little bit better. I gave my girlfriend the next day uh, the one-tenth of the Rice Krispie Treat. That was left. Yeah, how that creator? She got too fucked up <laughs> and had like some kind of life affirming fucking epiphany, you know? Should have ate one tenth of that thing. Yeah. That would have got me there. Well. Fuck, dude. So Wow. There's that. Jeez, so yes. You made it out the other side. Yeah. See, you just gotta ride it out. That's that's the cure. That is the cure. So weed can get you too. Damn. You know what I mean? So kids don't just drink water. Do your vitamins. Whatever. I don't know. Be good to each other. Be healthy. Happy. Don't go to fucking fish shows. That's stupid. Don't do if that. If there's anything I learned, you don't need to be going to fish shows. No. You know, you're that bad. The markup on grilled cheeses just isn't enough to fucking constitute driving around aimlessly listening to a 72 minute guitar solo. Yeah. That's a journey. That yeah. sounds like an incredible journey. Wow. It's one that you take when you're 20 years old yeah you know well some people take it you know into their 
um, you know, middle age. This is true. Hanging on to flower power. I started my journey with fish through nothing but cynicism and the enjoyment therein. Because I could go there and I could watch these people who I deemed to be foolish people spun out of their heads on acid dancing, you know. That's like, awesome. Oh, it's great. The video in the book. Yeah. You watch that video, right? That's a brilliant moment in mankind. So stellar. So I just started by going to these things to make fun of the people who go to these things. Yeah. And then I found myself being one of the people who goes to these things, yeah. you know, but I, I had fun. Dude, Do whatever. you think there's footage of you somewhere dirt twirling with your shirt off on another planet? Just like in the moment. Yeah. Albany, 1997 or eight. That was the one where I lost my mind. Yeah, and uh, if there's if footage exists somewhere, it's it's of that one. Yeah, that was. Uh, did I ever did I ever tell you about that? I don't know if you have. This this is a funny one, because um, I thought that I was dead, and I was absolutely certain that that's what happened to me. So, the way it worked is that the Albany show, I, I ate some some black gel gel acid. Black gel acid. That Black sounds fucked gel up. acid. Yeah, for sure. Might as well have sounds skeletons like with trip. crossbones on Dude. it and shit like that. I either Christ. ate one hit or like up to 10 hits. I'm not totally sure. Oh my Lord. Because me Dude. and my partner could not find any of it afterwards. Black ice. It was really confusing evening because like this was early. This, I, one of the first fish shows I saw and they played a lot of covers and they were covering music that I liked. They played a James Addiction song, they played a Led Zeppelin song, and they played a Skinnerd song. I got a little spot for Southern rock in my heart. Yeah. And they played Beatles something. And when they played something, it was me and my friend who shall remain nameless because it's someone you know. I'll tell you afterwards. All right. But it was literally a, a pink spotlight just on me and her. And we were alone in this, you know, huge, huge like arena. You know, there's like thousands of people, but it was just me and her in a white room and a band playing something. That was my experience, really? which was wrong. <laughs> Obviously. A pink spotlight with <laughs> you and her yeah. in a white room. And I was like, are we at prom? Am, am I supposed to like kiss you? Like, this is all weird. You know, this is all too weird, you know? So we're in this fucking arena and the show lets out. And the show lets out into this really, really like classy, imagine like a La Jolla mall. The fanciest mall. There's a fucking Fabergé egg shop. All right. So just imagine all these fucking That's like fancy. brain dead hippie zombies slowly meandering through this classy mall. Fucking Vivaldi is literally playing on the fucking PA system. Everything is moving like it, you know, halftime. Yeah. You know, and it's just this this weird juxtaposition where I'm like, obviously, these people don't belong in this place. Yeah. You know what I mean? This place is is heaven you know we, we were we've all died everyone in that concert died there's fabergé eggs there's fabergé egg shops there's fucking classical music we're dead and this is heaven you know we're, we're trying to get out of this mall and we can't we just like we'll walk down a corridor and then down like a flight of stairs and then we'll be back in the mall and this happens repeatedly and i'm just like oh this is so weird then i see this guy and this is a weird thing because like it's a guy that I don't really know. He was my roommate from college, his like, best friend growing up. I met him once. We smoked some weed together, and that was it. Yeah. But I saw him, and I recognized him. He didn't recognize me. And I come up to him, and I'm like, 
holy shit, dude, you died too? And he's like, bro, I'm not dead. And I was like, yes, you are. You're dead. And your name is Jonathan. And he's like, my name is Jonathan. <laughs> Did you convince and somebody he, else that he they died? freaks out and starts running, you know? And he's just like, ah. Oh. And then I get to an elevator. And this fucking woman who wasn't at the concert, who's just in the fucking mall for mall reasons, you know? She like, the door opens up and she's like, are you going up or are you going down? And I literally say to this lady, I'm like, that seems like a real significant question that I'm not prepared to answer right now. So you need to go where you're going and I'm just going to keep walking. And she looks at me like, what the fuck? Like, what are you talking about? Why are you talking this crazy nonsense? Mean, I'm scared. You mean I get to choose between heaven and hell? <laughs> yeah. This old random mall lady is the gatekeeper who holds my fate. I'm not ready for this. Like, I'm, I'm going to come back to this, you know? So I'm wandering around. The gal I'm there with, she still thinks we're alive. And I'm like, no, we're... Uh, look at this fucking place, dude. We're obviously not alive. That was some, like, apocalyptic shit that we experienced back at the concert. I don't even know if that shit happened. It was just you and me for a second. That's weird. Now there's all these fucking hippies walking around this beautiful mall. We're fucking dead. I know that we're dead. And then, like, I talked her into believing that we're dead so oh she you know we're walking outside at this point and there's like all this broken glass and shit she fucking takes her shoes off and throws them away and i was like why'd you throw your shoes away she's like i don't need shoes i'm fucking dead you know her feet are bleeding all over the fucking place oh my know? lord and then we're back in the mall so i'm just like <laughs> how the fuck is this happening how do we get out of this mall and then like after what seemed like an eternity it's probably like six minutes yeah. of wandering around this mall right and this is fucked up, but this is how I had my epiphany that I wasn't dead and I wasn't in heaven. I see two fucking cops. And I was like, there's no cops in heaven. <laughs> I go up to these guys and I'm just like, hey, man, how do I get to where my car is parked? Not like they even knew, but, you know, and they looked at me like, and then they looked at all the other crazy people and they're like, ah, it's just crazy people night. I just got to deal with this shit and not arrest this stupid asshole. Yeah. So they're like, ah, you go down here, you make a right and you go down there and then there's a fucking parking garage and then, you know. And I was like, all right, perfect. So I do that, go, I see my car, I start my car, I fucking drive home. Five hours to fucking my house, New Jersey. And the craziest thing is the next day was Thanksgiving dinner. So I drove to my mom's fucking place. And a head full of acid. A head full of acid. I woke up at 3 p.m. the next day for Thanksgiving dinner with my family. Wow. And they were like, my mom was like, all right, something's amiss. You know what I mean? She didn't have to read the book at that point. She knew. One would and she looked at my friend with the fucking dreadlocks and shit, and she was like, all right, something's off about my son. So if there's footage of that, there was a point where I fucking danced so hard, I lost my fucking sweet Oakley sunglasses. Oh, man. Yeah. Blades? Yeah. They were like, Burn. they were these rad camo Oakleys. Best pair I ever had, dude. Should have had the croquis. Yeah. Damn. I was dancing so hard, I would have lost that shit, too. I fired it all right off me. Wow. So... This podcast has been all about drugs so far. And the easiest podcast there ever was. <laughs> Captive audience, captured by the glow. It's a napalm dog 
Jackson. 